what I, what I liked about him the most tonight was it was his anger when he came off. It's frustrated. I liked it. First time I've seen a bit of anger, a bit of you know, I, we, we, we've been trying to poke him a little bit to get angry. I wanted to get angry. I wanted to get nasty. I wanted to get sort of like the fire, and uh, I liked that tonight. I saw something in in that that, that excites me about Saturday's game against New England for Joseph. Joseph Martinez has finally made his presence felt with Inter Miami, both with his goal-scoring exploits and also his trademark fiery temper. Hello everyone, hola y bienvenidos a todos. Welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to Inter Miami focused podcast that provides you with all the latest team news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more via a group of seasoned South Florida-based reporters. First off, the group and I want to apologize for both not having a show in between this past weekend's game and Tuesday's match, and for also dropping a show so late in the week this week. However, the very, very quick turnaround uh, for that rare Tuesday tilt combined with other midweek matches made it very challenging for us given our schedules. I know you listeners like to have your weekly dose of Miami Total Football Radio, so we are sorry for the delay, but here we are. My name is Franco Penizo, and joining me on this week's late episode is a very special and spicy co-host who may just have to eat her words after a heated debate on last week's show. I am, of course, talking about none other than Andrea Yanis, a.k.a. Ajicita. Andrea, how are you today? Hi, Franco. Nice to be back. I won't eat my words. I guess you <laughs> oh, won't no. like what I have to say oh, today, no. right? So oh, no. let's, let's do this. Let's get ready to, to do this. Uh, well, we have a lot to talk about. And I'm going to try to make this intro nice, short, and sweet because we've got two games to talk about. We've got individual performances to talk about. We've got to preview an upcoming game against the New England Revolution. So there's a lot. There's a lot to dissect, discuss, analyze, debate over, I'm sure. So, Andrea, let's get to it. Okay, listeners. We'll start with news that took place on Thursday. Since this is a late show, let's react to the most recent news regarding Inter Miami. And that is that they learned their fate for the round of 16 in the U.S. Open Cup. That's because they will be playing Nashville SC at home at Drafting Stadium in Fort Lauderdale on either May 23rd or May 24th. A lot of interesting things to touch on there in the match or about the match, but just quickly to dive into just the immediate and initial reaction. Andrea, your thoughts on Inter Miami drawing Nashville SC in the round of 16, the first time on the left side it will face this season in that competition? It's going to be a good test. It's going to be a good test. It's going to be a difficult test for them, especially after what we saw on Tuesday on that game against Charleston Battery, who is a good team but had a lot of players injured. And um, even though with that, they only advanced because of an, of an own goal. So it's going to be hard against Nashville, who is one of the best teams in the competition. It's going to be hard for them. But... I guess uh, they have an advantage because they play them pretty 
pretty soon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a week before they played an yeah. MLS game uh, in Nashville. So that's the difference. Exactly. Well, besides the fact that it's an MLS game. But yes, and they do play. Usually when you do that, uh, for, uh, by the second game, you already know the opponent. You already have studied how they played. So I guess that that could be a, a, a starting point for Inter Miami. But listen, I think it's going to be hard. Nashville is really a good team and um, has a, a lot of interesting players, uh, a lot of of, of talent, uh, the past MVP, and uh, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to tell our listeners the truth. It's gonna be hard. <laughs> the advantage is that they play them before and they play them at home. Hopefully, people go right because for uh, the Tuesday game, I guess no one knows what Open Cup is, right? So, so no one went so, to the game. <laughs> so we will dive into that. We'll touch on that a little bit more once we get to that game. But to touch on what you just mentioned, that is very interesting because a week after they play in in the MLS regular season, they face off again in the U.S. Open Cup. Now they change venues, right? Instead of playing in Nashville, they'll be in South Florida. So Inter-Miami will have the home field advantage. But it's going to be interesting, not only because of that, but because this is part of a very busy stretch of games. So how Inter-Miami and Nashville SC you know, get to that game in terms of the, the shape that they're in and um, who's available and who's fresh and who's not fresh, like that, that's going to be a big part of it all. So obviously we can't project from this point to then who's going to be available, but just before the second time they meet in that U.S. Open Cup game, round of 16, they, Inter Miami will have played three times before that in the week and a half prior. So it's going to be the fourth game in two weeks. You could even stretch it further, and it's going to be even more challenging. So you have to expect Inter Miami, and I imagine Nashville SC as well, will want to field a strong lineup, but there's going to have to be some sort of rotation. Can't imagine and- Inter Miami is going to have the, the strongest lineup Days exactly. after playing rivals Orlando City at home, and again after playing, uh, you know this this grueling stretch of games, um, which is exciting both for the team and for for fans and also for us in the media because we've got a lot of games in, in short order, but that will be a challenge. And, and Nashville SC, is- Nashville SC, and I thought this all close out on this thought. Uh, Nashville SC is probably deeper than Inter Miami, and that is yeah. where the. That's where you're going to need a big performance in that game. Like you said, it will be a challenge. It will be a challenge. I, I was going to say that they won yesterday against FC Dallas, playing with the bench. Listen, not Aníbal Godoy didn't play, Hani Mukhtar didn't play, McCarthy didn't play, but they have the likes of Randa Leal and Fafa Picot who scored in this game. So it's gonna be really hard if you compare the teams. It's gonna be really hard for Inter Miami, especially because of all we talked about, but especially because of the depth that the, both teams have and what Nashville has available is superior to what Inter Miami has available now. And one more thing of note there, and you know this, this is probably a good reason. I know it's going to be a midweek match, tougher to attend. I, I get it. I've covered MLS a long time. Regular season games don't draw as well uh, during midweek than they do on the weekend. Open Cup games, obviously. But this might be a reason for Inter Miami fans to turn out even more so, or make that extra effort to do so, if if uh, you know if it, even if it's a bit challenging. 
you know, make the extra effort. Because Inter-Miami, historically, has not been very good against its expansion brother. Don't forget, Inter-Miami and Nashville FC entered the league at the exact same time back in 2020. They have played a total of six times dating back to that 2020 season, including Inter-Miami's first playoff match. I know Jose and Andrea counted as a play-in game and not a playoff well, match, but talk to them. Re- re- regardless, regardless, in those six games, Inter-Miami has won only once. They have tied twice and lost. And now Nashville is better than in years past, I think. So... If you know if you you know if it's challenging for you as an Inter Miami fan to make it out, but you can make the effort to do so, I mean that's one reason to do so to go support the team because it will very likely need all the help it can get against the team that again historically has been superior than them. But anyway, let's leave it there. We all have time to talk about that game as it draws near, and after we see the first matchup between the two teams in MLS play midweek next week, so. Uh, let's go and start recapping the most recent games. And we'll start with the first of the two. The one that took place over the weekend. So Inter-Miami made it two wins in a row in league play by beating Atlanta United 2-1 to one at home at DraftKings Stadium this past Saturday. And the goals came from who else? La Ley de Lex, as we discussed on last week's show. Joseph Martinez bags a brace. He scores twice to lead the South Florida side to victory. Apareció el Rey at long last. The King finally made his presence felt. His first two goals for the team. 59th minute off a penalty kick. And then in the 75th minute, Andrew Gutman pulled one back late for Atlanta United in the second half stoppage time. But Inter Miami held on for the win. Joseph Martinez was named to the team of the week as a result of his two-tally performance. And there was a lot to talk about in terms of his display, the post-game comments. So before we get to all that, because that's definitely a massive talking point, the overall thoughts on the collective performance. This was their second win in a row. It was their third game unbeaten across all competitions because they tied that game against Miami FC. But nonetheless, Andrea, your thoughts on the overall performance from this past Saturday? Well, I didn't like it. For me, it was a bad performance. Um, They were very lucky to get with uh, three points. I guess that is the important part that they avoided another defeat and uh, they defended with all 11 players the last 15 minutes so that was hard to see to tell you the truth Um, footballistically speaking for me the team is the same they have not been playing well and this game was just confirmation for that for me it was a boring game Uh, Joseph came in and uh scored that penalty after David Ruiz won it. And uh, then the second goal, we have to give credit to Yedlin. Nice play. And uh, to Joseph for scoring. But besides that, it was a horrible game. A boring game. 
and not the kind of football that I and I guess the fans expect for the team. But the positive is that they won. So there you go again with the word lucky. I don't know how you can say they were lucky. They were up 2-0 to zero before Atlanta United even pulled one back in stoppage time. And that was with Inter-Miami playing uh, down a man since the 84th after Franco Negri was shown a red card after VAR deemed him to uh, go studs up on the challenger. Or, yeah, he got a red card. So uh, actually, before I dive into more of that, this was Inter-Miami's starting lineup. They came out in a... 4-2-3-1. Drake Callender was in goal. DeAndre Yedlin, Serhi Kristoff, Kamal Miller, and Franco Negri made up the back four. Dixon Arroyo and David Ruiz were comprising that first line of the midfield. The second line of the midfield, Corentin Jean, Benjamin Kremaski. That's right, it's Kremaski, not Kremaski. We've been, we've been corrected on that. Uh, as the 10, and Nicolas Stefanelli out on the left. Up top, Leonardo Campana. So, look, I agree with you, Andrea, that it was not a beautiful display of soccer. Actually, Jose and I, who's not on the show this week, but Jose and I laughed at halftime or joked about how the opening play was a sign of things to come for that first half. Without well, we, we didn't know it at the time, but it was a sign of things to come after the fact when you when you had hindsight as twenty twenty. Because Inter Miami did the usual play that it does when it starts a match and it has the ball. Or even when it starts a half and it has the ball. Right? They kick off. They play it back to Drake Callender. Inter Miami sends like six players forward. And then Drake Callender just bombards it forward. Uh, long balls it. Hoofs it up the field. And Inter Miami tries to win a second ball and hope that it can lead to a chance. If you haven't noticed that, you'll surely see it again this weekend. Keep an eye on it because that's what Inter Miami has done ad nauseum this year. Whenever they kick off. To start a half, whether it's the first half or the second half, that's what they do. Uh, and when Drake Callender did this one, normally he plays it into into the mixer, into a group. This time he kicked it to nobody. Nobody. He just like skipped harmlessly away from everybody. And that was a sign of things to come from the game itself. Because Inter Miami, you know, constantly was hitting long balls. Was not great. In terms of creating attacking chances, Atlanta United was the more threatening side, but couldn't find the breakthrough, couldn't find that last bit of quality or composure in the final third. They just kept sending in cross after cross after cross. If if they had their starting goal scorer, it would have been different. But they didn't. So Inter-Miami, look, Inter-Miami defended well. They stayed organized, compact. Organized. They were... They, they defended with 11 players in the 70th minute. They didn't pass midfield. For me, well, I guess for me, that's not progress. So they stayed compact. They were organized. They were committed to the cause. And they saw it through and won. Now, last week, when we talked suffering. about... Suffering. 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 At the or end, they didn't suffer. At the end. The with, last 10 minutes, they didn't suffer, Frank. With, with, one, with, with one player less, Andrea. With one player less. When the, when the referee gave nine minutes and everyone was crying, they were not suffering. I'm not saying they didn't suffer. Oh, okay. They suffered, but they also were playing down a man. All the same, all the same. Last week on the show, you and Jose both sat there and told me and the listeners that this recipe 
was not going to, or this formula, this style of play was not going to lead to continued success. Yet for the second straight week in an MLS match, Inter-Miami beat a better team than them in the standings. Playing as an unattractive style. Admittedly, an unattractive style. Something even Phil Neville noted after the game. Yes. But like I mentioned last week, and I liked Phil's answer on Saturday when he talked about how they had to go back to basics. That playing possession soccer wasn't yielding results. That they had to start from scratch. And that he said, you know, the football will come and yada, yada, yada. But yes, that they had to be a more defensive-minded team. Because In that answer, he admits that they, footballistically speaking, they have not progressed. Okay, he even admitted in that as answer, a team, the question was not about footballistically. No, that is what we meant. No, no, I, I that mean that's, but we're talking about no. Andrea, talking, we're talking about the just, team functioning. You, you are functioning. just talking because of the results. I, well, Andrea, people, you are talking because of the results. Andrea, you can play if beautiful that, soccer, if and if you Atlanta, don't win, that means nothing. If Atlanta tied this game, you would not be saying that. You would not be saying that. And just then, admit it. That's not. Just that's, admit that's, it. That's, that's not. Has nothing. Even, the, even we can say. You just we can said say, what Phil say. He said we went back to basic. We. That's not what. We, because we that is what this team has to do. That's what this team has to do. That he is. la razón because he is admitting that he. This is a regression. No, he's not, that's not, that's not, that's not, that is incorrect, that is incorrect, that is incorrect. It is a regression. He said, we are going back to basics. Exactly. That is regressing, regressing. You are talking about from a playing pretty soccer standpoint. Yes, because But we're not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about, Andrea. We're not talking about that. are another thing. You cannot be. that's not what we're talking about. A result-driven Journalist. That is the, I, I, that what, is my what are you t- what are you talking about? What are you t- this team again? I'm not I'm not going Franco, to do, I'm not going to have the exact same argument with you Atlanta? again. I'm not having the same no because that's that that would you have to take into the full analysis of how the game played out. Inter Miami did Drake Calendar have to make amazing saves yet again? No, because the defense held up well. It's progression. It is progress in the sense that this team and going back to bakes, basics functions better than it does when it tries to play attractive soccer up until this point. When it, it Phil Neville even said the phrase champagne football. This team cannot play champagne football because it does not work. Now, we can dive into the reasons why, and I can tell you one of the reasons why. I think Phil Neville has a massive part to play in that because when Inter-Miami has been at its best since he has arrived in 2021, the best stretches have come when they've played this rudimentary defensive-minded style. When they've played five at the back, when they've played uh, defensively-minded, looking to counterattack, that's when Inter-Miami has been at its best under Phil Neville. And I think that's because Phil Neville, tactically, for whatever reason, when he tries to attack, he can't figure it out. He can't get the best out of the players consistently. Now, you could say last season, the tail end of last season, was you know Inter-Miami's best stretch under Phil Neville in terms of an attacking sense. But a lot of that for my analysis, is that Gonzalo Higuain and Alejandro Pozuelo really lifted the team. There was a few goals late from Gonzalo Higuain that didn't come necessarily from some magical run of play from Inter-Miami. It just came from a good pass here and then a moment of brilliance from, from the Argentine. So for me, Phil Neville, his tactics, Inter-Miami under him, has been at its best 
when it's defending. And that is the most, that's what I think, that's the most you can ask but out of a how, Phil Neville how do team. You, how, do you, how do you measure the best? Results? Results, absolutely. Or what? Absolutely. Well, then you are resultadista. No, Andrea. Andrea no, because of Andrea, the Andrea, if they If they went, so so uh, when Greece won the Euro Cup in 2004, if I'm not mistaken, and they did it in a defensive-minded, counter-attacking way, winning off set pieces, that's not progress because they are not playing attractive style of soccer like and that, that's, that's, that, is, Miami, that is that is, is absurd that is absurd let's let's that is absurd. turn the page and talk about u.s open cup no, what no, no. progress did you see there no, no, no. what progress no, no. We, we can't we're not we're not going to open cup yet because we still have to talk about Why? joseph you we have, have to, to talk about time. joseph here you we have to are talking about results i think it's a uh, a bit ridiculous from you and Jose's part to not see that this team has progressed as a group not from a stylistic standpoint but from a performance level standpoint because they performance. are performance and yeah, performance performance doesn't just mean attacking performance doesn't mean just having the ball performance not means you can exactly. defend you can I, defend I and stay and stay compact and win games that way off a set piece plenty of teams have done it the u.s before this golden generation prized themselves on being a team that was stout defensively, that relied on excellent goalkeeping, be it Tim Howard, Casey Keller, Brad Friedel, and I they won games in that way. You had Landon Donovan, Brian McBride. There what was are you indi- talking there, about? Había individualidades. There was individual talent, of course, that helped them win games. But the, the, they weren't a team that knocked the ball around. If Inter Miami played like the 2002 U.S. national team, I would be happy. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll just <laughs> I'll just leave it with Don Cavacito's <laughs> comment from post-show last week. And he said, you can't expect to play champagne football with the current squad and manager. So until the squad is improved with better quality and talent and the manager is replaced with someone of a higher caliber, the best approach is the practical catenaccio way and earn points. And I and that's like the most succinct way for Don Cafecito to sum up my thoughts about this, about the topic of the style of play. We, we'll dive into it a little bit more because Phil was also... Asked about that on Tuesday. Very good question from Jose, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, let's let's focus on Joseph Martinez and the game he had on Saturday. Comes off the bench with his first touch, scores a penalty kick against his former team. He also celebrated the goal and then kneeled in front of the traveling Atlanta United supporters as a nod of respect to them. I know some Atlanta United fans weren't too happy. They didn't understand that he did that or that he was doing that for the away supporters because the, the broadcast didn't really uh, catch that in, in a good way. Didn't really see him look up at the Atlanta supporters before he kneeled. The second goal that he scores, which I think is a trademark Joseph Martinez goal. You know, I've seen him score that type of goal in MLS multiple times. Nice pass in behind from DeAndre Edlin, like you mentioned previously. And then Joseph Martinez from a... Tough angle, not the easiest angle, with a sliding finish, gets it across the face of goal to the back post, and that gave it to remind me a 2-0 lead at that point. So, a dream matchup, first matchup against his former team, where he's, you know, he's a legend, where, you know, he's still very well liked and admired, um, you know, just like there were some people that didn't like the fact that he celebrated, others were very vocal in expressing that they didn't mind, that he's earned it, that he's still their king, etc., etc., etc. For him, you know, it was, uh, he talked about it post-game, it was a whirlwind of emotions. You know, he was happy that he helped Inter Miami win, he was happy to get his first goals, but 
that it came against his former team, against an Atlanta United side that has a lot of players that he has spent so much time with, um, you know, a fan base that has supported him through many, many years, through very, very big highs as well as some lows. I mean, it was just a whirlwind of emotions. He he seemed as emotional as I've seen him in the post-game press conference, even more when he did an on-field interview with uh, Inter-Miami staff that was put out on, on social media channels, the team social media channels. So a whirlwind of emotions for Joseph Martinez. What do you think about the performance? What do you think it does for his confidence going forward? Though we do already now know what happened on Tuesday, but just your overall thoughts. Yeah, I think it, it was necessary for Joseph to have this kind of a night. I think it was good for his teammates to let him take the penalty because other player could have took, uh, taken the ball, but they gave it to him. I think it was important. Uh, showing of support by his teammates. And um, I guess uh, this for Joseph is a new beginning in his Inter-Miami career because he's gotten off that pressure that he had, that he so many games have gone by and he wasn't able to score. So that penalty was very, very important to him. Listen, if I was an Atlanta fan, I think I would be mad. Usually when a player scores against my team that has played against my team, usually people get mad. But I think Joseph Martinez uh, realized in that moment and tried to pay his respects because it's people have to understand that what he was going through with Inter Miami and all these things was tough for him. So I, I understand that he had to vent that out. So I don't think he did it in a bad way and he... Less, as you said, he kneeled in front of the Atlanta fans, and um, maybe that wasn't shown on the <laughs> on TV, and that's why people were mad. But uh, for him, I think it's important. Uh, and the most important thing for me, and what I like the most, is that his teammates gave him the ball and gave him that opportunity to get to take that penalty because he just got in, and they gave him the ball and let him take that opportunity uh, and and he took it obviously we know of his capabilities and the second goal as you said and i said before it was a typical joseph martinez goal that you expect him to get it every time and uh, i really liked yelling's pass that that is why yelling is such a dangerous player even though he sometimes has defensive mishaps he I don't think there are a lot of players in this league that can go as he does to the front and create as much danger as he does. And this ball showed it. So I guess it's good for Yellin also uh, to get an assist and uh, good for Joseph. And uh, it was nice to see him emotional, uh, to see how much it meant to him. And I guess we confirmed that he was under a lot of pressure to score that first goal with Inter Miami. Which was interesting because pregame, we got to speak to him before the game, and he said along the lines of like, you know, he kind of downplayed having any pressure. He said, you know, like, my pressure is to bring food on the table for my son and my family. Um, you know, this is this is just a sport. And I, the comments he made beforehand were to kind of really downplayed the importance or the, the pressure that, you know, we thought he was under. But then on Saturday, you could see that, yeah, it, it was impacting him. It was impacting him. Despite his words earlier in the week, it was impacting him, the fact that he could not find the back of the net, 
You know, this is a guy that's used to scoring, especially in MLS. So, you know, and he talked about post-game about it being a very weird day, if not the weirdest day uh, in his life. He said so many mixed emotions. He, like you mentioned, he asked Campana for the penalty, and, and Campana gave, gave it up, no problem. And, you know, I did like the celebrations on both goals because you could see how genuinely happy the team was for Joseph. Like the second goal where him and Yedlin kind of point at each other in like a funny little way. Uh, you know, it, it showed how happy the team was for him to get going, to get off the schneid, to find the back of the net at long last after, you know, the criticism was was raining down on him a good bit. Um, you know, Joseph also said post game that he was as nervous during the penalty kick as he was when his son was born, while also noting the difference in context of the two situations. But yes, he did he did say that as well. So um, it was interesting post game because he talked about um, you know he I don't think based on my interpretation of what he said, and we won't go too deep into it because you know we want to make this a fairly uh, condensed show given it's a short turnaround before Saturday's game. But, you know, he, he at one point towards the end, he didn't thank Atlanta United. He thanked the city. And he also said it earlier in that press conference this past Saturday that, uh, you know, he, nothing is forever and blah, blah, blah. But that, you know, he also didn't get a chance to say goodbye to his teammates uh, when he left and, and didn't have that opportunity so seeing them again it's after having spent so many time so much time and so many years with them you know it just created this this whirlwind of emotion so for me there's i think there's some bad blood there like, there was a message for gonzalo pinela gonzalo pineda and carlos bocaneira right i think there's and, some bad blood there yeah for sure, with the club yeah. and the way they 100%. handled it now yes, do i think he appreciates his time in atlanta absolutely do i think he has uh genuine good thoughts and feelings towards the supporters and his teammates and the staff and the memories he created there, absolutely. But I think there is some ill will towards some people in that organization and how you know that led <laughs> to how it so <laughs> Boca But anyway, but anyway, so it was it was a storybook night for Joseph Martinez, a storybook game. Also of note, and we haven't mentioned that yet, because again, there was so much to talk about from this game. Uh those two goals made Joseph Martinez the fastest player in MLS history to reach 100 goals. He surpassed Bradley Wright Phillips for that honor. So Joseph Martinez got the two goals he's been looking for for a good while. Should help him get that weight off his back. La mochila, as, as we say in Spanish, the backpack. So that should bode well, maybe, for what's to come in the future for him. Now... I said maybe because now we got to switch gears to the second game against the Charleston Battery. Inter Miami won that game on Tuesday night at DraftKings Stadium in U.S. Open Cup round of 32 play. The lone goal came off an own goal in the second half. We'll dive into that here in a second. But Joseph Martinez was subbed off in this one. And when he was subbed off, Andrea, the broadcast, very, very tentatively and you know i gotta give them their their props because they kept the camera on joseph martinez from the moment that the substitute sign went up the camera went on joseph as he looked at the sign as he walked off the field as he walked past uh phil neville and as he even walked towards the bench and then unleashed a pair of ferocious fists at a couple of empty 
chairs. Very you could angry. tell it was a U.S. soccer transmission and not an MLS, right? But I, I mean, I, who, listen, whoever was the producer and whoever was that cameraman, you know, kudos to you guys because, like, you you knew the material and and, yeah. you, and you kept with it, um, and and you didn't cut to go see Schneider Borgelin come on to the field or look at Phil. Like the it was stayed on it stayed on Joseph Martinez and and we got to see a real sign of frustration. The first time we've seen Joseph Martinez really show that type of emotion, the one that he has been criticized for in the past, the one has led uh, a similar type of emotion that has led to incidences with coaches, both at the club and international level, the type of emotion that has made him at times a controversial figure. This happened in the 56th minute of the game. Game was at that point 1-0 in Inter-Miami's favor. But, Andrea, before we get to the game, we saw the good side of Joseph Martinez on Saturday, and then we saw maybe the not-so-good side as he was subbed off on Tuesday. What did you make of his reaction to being substituted? And why do you think he was that frustrated? Listen, I get it. I think it was completely normal for analyzing the situation for me from him because he is a striker that scored two goals on Saturday, that he's trying to get his groove back, that you don't have... Uh, plans to put your other good strikers in this match as is Leo Campana. Joseph expected, I'm sure, to play the whole 90 minutes. And uh, he didn't. So I totally get his frustration because for me, I also thought Joseph Martinez could have played the 90 minutes. It could have been, it uh, could have helped keeping the team dangerous as you keep a striker like him with the experience that he had. So I totally get his reaction. I get people getting preoccupied because it's Joseph Martinez. He fought with the Boer. He fought with Gonzalo Pinella and a lot of other coaches with his national team. But here, I think it's justified. And it shows that his commitment that we talked about in, in the last couple of podcasts that was a little shaky that he is committed to to try and get get the results and get going with Inter Miami. For me, it was a mistake to take him off. But um, and I guess he thought the same because he felt that he could play 90 minutes and it would have been a good game for him to play 90 minutes to get his confidence to keep keep on uh, getting minutes, getting playing time, and that is what a striker needs. But I get it. I get it when people get preoccupied, especially because worried. We, w- yeah, worried because especially uh, we have seen Phil have complicated relationships uh, with players uh, in the past. So um, uh, that could get complicated. That could get complicated. I don't think Phil cares because he knows he has been a professional <laughs> player for a lot of times and. I guess one th- during time in his career, he got frustrated because a manager took him off. So I don't think it would be a big deal because of Phil's personality. So while I don't think it's a big deal, I think it's something like, ojo, ojo, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that. Because, yes, Phil Neville, you know, after the game said he liked the reaction, that he liked to see the little fire in, in Joseph Martinez that, you know, they haven't really seen up until this point. And he even alluded to, like, him, Phil Neville alluded to himself and the coaching staff trying to, to prod and find a way to get that fire under Joseph Martinez. 
Because, listen, I, I'm of the belief, and, you know, I think this was what, was what Phil Neville was getting at, and I would agree with him, that I do think that when Joseph Martinez plays with that anger, that chip on his shoulder, that's when he's at his best. When he feels like he has to prove people wrong and he has to play with that, that, uh, that demeanor, I, th- I think that's when he's at his best. And I think, you know, it's no, no coincidence, yes, he was on a better Atlanta United team, yes, he, he hadn't suffered the injuries yet, but when he was at his best... In MLS, it was when he played with that type of passion and that type of anger. And you know what? So I don't disagree with what Phil Neville said post-game, but it is something to keep an eye on. Because if you see more and more of that... Yeah, that's the way it started with the Right, so then that's where it can can prove problematic, and that's where Phil Neville would, if it happens then have to start figuring out how to best manage that. So right now, yeah, sure, he liked it. It's all peaches and roses. Okay, we'll see if it continues. And then we'll see how Phil Neville reacts and responds and manages that. That that will be something, again, to keep an eye on. I won't make a big deal about it other than the fact that it's the first time we saw it, something like this. And again, something that bears watching. Uh, I did think it was interesting, and I wish you know we could share the images on Twitter uh, but we can't due to uh, broadcasting rights. But when Joseph Martinez sees the sign come up, he looks uh, He looks at the sign, obviously. He sees his number's been called. He looks over to the right. He puts his like hand over his mouth. Like, I don't know if he was like nibbling on his hand or what he was doing there. But he does that as he's looking down. Then when he finally looks back up, he looks over to the left side, completely avoiding eye contact or trying to look in the direction of Phil Neville. He walks around... The fourth official, you know, kind of gives uh, Schneider a little a little hand. Um, and Phil Neville's clearly trying to, like, get his attention and talk to him. And Joseph Martinez just keeps walking past. And you can see the image for a split second on the broadcast of, like, Phil Neville's, like, eyes are all big. And he's trying to catch Joseph Martinez's attention, and he can't. And Joseph Martinez just keeps walking. Um, you know, if you steal that image, maybe I will. You know what? And I when I push this... This uh, this episode out on Instagram, Miami Total Football at MIA Total Football. Um, you know, maybe I'll use that image because that I think that said a lot. Like Phil was like, "Hey," and Joseph Martinez wanted nothing, wanted nothing to do with it. You know, then he walks <laughs> to the bench and, and he punches the two empty seats. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But clearly, I agree with you. You know, I think he was frustrated to come off, and I think a big part of that has to do with him not scoring. I don't know if it was so much the 90, the 90 minutes. Maybe. Maybe. But I think it had to do with him not scoring. Especially because in the first half of the game, in the 18th minute, if I'm not mistaken, he should have had a goal. If Harvey Neville picks up his head and plays a fairly routine square ball. Now, Nicolas Stefanelli, in one of the few moments of the game, where Inter Miami showed some creativity, he hits a through ball in behind to Harvey Neville. Harvey Neville penetrates into the penalty area, the final third. But rather than scoring it to an open Joseph Martinez in front of an empty net, because Charleston Battery's goalkeeper came out to cut off the angle for Harvey Neville, instead of doing that, I won't call it selfish because I don't think Harvey Neville knew that Joseph Martinez was there. I've watched the play over and over and over again. I don't think uh, Harvey Neville had the awareness that Joseph Martinez was there, not even instinctually. But it was not the high percentage play. You know, he, he tries to force a shot to the back to the back post, cross body. And it, it just didn't work out. The goalkeeper makes the save. It wasn't a well-placed shot at all. So I think that was part of it. Because Joseph Martinez's initial reaction was like, Hey, I'm here! I'm here! 
and you didn't pass me the ball. So I think that weighed on him that he felt like he should have had a goal and he didn't. And I asked Victor Ulloa, who was the team captain for this game and who was the person that spoke after the match in the press conference setting. There was no mix zone because this is a U.S. Open Cup game. And Victor Ulloa, you know, in, and I wrote about this in uh, on Miami Total Football Substack, so you can you can see the piece with, with the more thorough quotes. But Victor Ulloa, to paraphrase, said, that Joseph Martinez gets bad when they don't give him the ball. And, and Victor Ulloa said this with a smile on his face, so it wasn't like he was being critical. But he was saying, yeah, he gets mad when he doesn't score. He gets mad when we don't give him the ball. He always wants the ball. Uh, actually, let me let me see if I can pull up the uh, pull up the quote here. Ah, here we go. Quote: He wants to score every single time he has a chance to, and he gets mad when we do not give him chances. We did not give him any chances in the first half in this game, and then the, you talk about the coaches. Then the coaches take him off early. So yeah, he is upset that he did not get to finish the game. That was end quote. Yeah, that, that was is, that was from that Victor Oyoa. That was from Victor Oyoa. Now, really quickly, this was Phil Neville. You know, and part of one of his many post-game quotes about the uh, moment. Quote, what I liked about him the most tonight was his anger when he came off. He was frustrated. I liked it. It is the first time I've seen a little bit of anger. We have been trying to poke him a little bit to get angry. I want him to get angry. I want him to get nasty. I want him to sort of get a fire. I like that tonight. I saw something in that that excites me about Saturday's game against New England for Joseph. End quote. We'll see if Phil Neville likes it, if it happens again and again and again. We'll see. We'll see. Because this was Phil Neville's gamble. And, you know, again, again, maybe this is this is just a one-off. At least Phil is not like Gonzalo Pinel, that if they get into a physical fight, he's going to respond, right? <laughs> he's poking a bear. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so anyway, uh, anything you want to add there with regards to the Joseph Martinez frustration? No. For me, if for me, his frustration was warranted, or however you say it. But yeah. uh, it's not, it's not, it's nothing. I don't think it's gonna. Uh, we like, I agree with you. We have to see how that goes, his situation, especially with Phil. But uh, I don't think it, it was that big of a deal. I have seen players do a lot of worst, and he just scored two goals. He wanted to score more, especially of how the team was playing, like playing a usl team and you're playing with a back five like <laughs> mm, <laughs> let's talk about that now so that's where we how go, the that's... hell is joseph going to get the ball so yeah. that's where we go next you're <laughs> right that's where we go next inter miami won by a one to zero mark against the charleston battery in the round of 32 game in the u.s open cup on tuesday night at drive pink stadium in front of a sparse crowd probably the lowest did they game. announce attendance uh I believe they put out a number. I just can't recall exactly what it was. I'd have to look it up here. But I'll do that here in a moment. But the formation that Inter-Miami used to start this game was a 5-2-2-1. If you want to, you could say it was a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1. Because yes, the wingbacks were pushed higher up the field. But I will stick with saying it was a back five because of the profile of the wingbacks. So... This was the starting lineup. Nick Marsman in goal. The back five was comprised of Harvey Neville, Christopher McVeigh, Ryan Saylor, Kamal Miller, and Franco Negri. The first line of the midfield playing as joint sixes, David Ruiz and Victor Ulloa. Ahead of them playing as joint tens operating in the pockets or half spaces, so more central, not out wide, 
were Nicolas Stefanelli and Robert Taylor. And up top, Joseph Martinez, who we've already talked about regarding this game. Now, Andrea, Intermiami wins off of an own goal in the 48th minute. Juan Sebastián Palma scores off of a... Well, it was an attempted clearance by a teammate, but it ricochets off his face and into the back of the net. Uh, A painful goal, not only because it hit off his face, you know, in terms of a physical aspect, but probably also from an emotional standpoint because it's a bit embarrassing. Um, But it was a goal that I think perfectly summed up this game because it was an ugly game. The less that can be said about that first half, the better. But overall, a poor display of soccer from both sides. You know, I think Charleston actually had some moments with the ball. Um, and listen, in Miami, like I just mentioned, with, with the lineup and the players that were in there, it was a, a mixed group. Probably a lineup that hasn't had many reps together in practice, right? It's not like you're going to mix starters and backups like that in a training session consistently. So probably not a group that's played together all that much, which probably played into the low performance levels. Phil Neville said after the game he expected a little more quality. I understand that point, but I don't know how you can expect that much quality when you have so many defensive players, plus uh, a group that hasn't really probably played all together all that much. But nonetheless, they won 1-0 with an ugly goal. They couldn't find the back of the net. They couldn't find the back of the net themselves. So what do you make of this performance? Horrendous. And Phil knew that is why he brought DeAndre Yedlin and Dixon Arroyo because he knew and Charleston was close to tying this game in many opportunities in the second half. That is why he had to bring the big guns and take Harvey and take David Ruiz. I don't know if many, but they they, 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 they had close. three, four chances and they they were very close to scoring and and the one, one hit the post. One hit the post. One hit the post. That was the best that, chance. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And uh, he, he, that is why he brought DeAndre Yellen and Dixon Arroyo, because I guess he didn't expect to see that low quality of football that the team was playing. Listen, for me, it's unacceptable. For me, it's unacceptable the way that Inter Miami is playing. I know they are getting the results, but I really think this team is capable of playing better. One positive thing I I, I, I like I would like to say is um, in, in that match against Atlanta, also I really like uh, uh, Stefanelli. He's getting through balls. He's putting up passes, uh, really good passes, reading the game very well. And maybe that means that he's finally getting into place uh, with the team and finding his, his desired position. So... Um, that is about the only positive thing that I can say about this match because for me, it's unacceptable, unacceptable. It was, listen, for me, the way that Inter Miami played this match, it was even worse than what they did against Miami FC. And I thought that they couldn't do worse than that, but I was incorrect. Hopefully the team against, if the team plays. Why? Why did you think it was worse? Let me know. Let us know why. Because against, uh, at least against Miami FC, they created opportunities. They had the ball. They had the possession. They had, uh, they were constantly attacking. In this match, okay, they had a couple, like two or three opportunities in the whole match of real danger against uh, an opponent that is supposedly a second division opponent. And... You couldn't get more mean, opportunities. What do you mean supposedly? What do you mean supposedly? They you are could, they are a second division team. You couldn't you couldn't 
you couldn't get any chances. So you couldn't build play. You couldn't. You couldn't do it. So I I agree with you that the performance was awful from an attacking standpoint. Defensively, it was largely okay. They had some some moments of worry, but largely defensively, weren't overly troubled. Nick Marsman didn't have to make any any fantastic saves. Now. I going back to what I said before. When Inter Miami comes out with a back five and two sixes that are destroyers, that are defensive minded players in Uyoa and Ruiz, and then you just have essentially three real attacking players in Stefanelli, Joseph Martinez, and Robert Taylor. I mean, where's the attack gonna really come from? Yeah. How how are you going to generate a whole lot of chances with that defensive of a team? Yes, Franco Negri gets forward very well. And he can whip in good crosses. And he's got some attacking qualities. Absolutely. I don't I don't take that away. But by and he large... He played because he, he's not going to play on the weekend. he's not playing on the weekend mm. because of the red card. But again, when you have so many defensive players, how are you going to generate a whole lot of attack? Now, I'll go into the midfield a little bit because I think that's something that needs to be talked about especially over the, when you've now seen these last two games and you can put them on, on the balance beam and, and really weigh things out. Look, losing Gene Mota, I think, hurts Inter Miami more than losing Gregory did. Because Gregory, you can f- not find a like-for-like replacement, but you can find someone that does similar roles of destroying, of, of taking up positions, and helping to just help protect that back line. Without Gene Mota, they don't have anyone on that first line of the midfield, especially now that Bryce Duke has been traded. That can... Do that job. Que puede hacer esa función. That can have those responsibilities of, you know, feeling comfortable collecting a pass from the back line or the goalkeeper under some pressure and then linking the defense to the attack with an array or a range of passes. Because Gene Mota can hit a long ball. He can play it short. He can combine. He takes shots from distance. They've lost a lot of football without Gene Mota. And look, I like what I've seen from David Ruiz. In his starts. That being said, with the ball, he's not the best. Defensively, I've really liked what I've seen, and I think that's where he's he's shown the brightest in his in his early Inter Miami appearances, like making tackles. He's fearless, you know. Even even on the ball in tight spaces, he has shown some things. But his range of passing when looking to play forward isn't good. And I think in this game. He was seen as the, the guy that needed to be the link. Based on when I, when I rewatched the game, they tried to play through him. But his forward passes, whether they were long balls over the top or short passes on the ground, they weren't the most accurate. And they, they constantly led to 50-50s or they constantly were, were turnovers. And that did not allow it to remind me to, to get going from an attacking standpoint. I won't blame him for that. It's just a function of... Uh, or a result of the team not having someone like Gene Mota and asking a defensive player to try to do that role. And it just didn't work. It didn't work. So uh, that was one of the reasons why Inter Miami struggled in this game in terms of an attacking uh, an attacking posture that you know they just couldn't, couldn't string together sequences um, by and large. They just didn't have anyone that could get the ball to the three attacking players on a consistent basis. You saw a lot of diagonal long balls, a lot of uh, square passes, lateral passes but in terms of trying to build build forward and 
trying to play balls through lines and those type of things, breaking lines, just didn't see it. Um, so that that I think is on Phil Neville as much as it is on any player like David Ruiz because David Ruiz is the player who he is. You can't ask, you know, DeAndre Yedlin to be a goal poaching striker because it's not his qualities, you know? Yeah. Like you, you can, tr- I mean, you could put him up there and see how it goes, but I mean, probably not going to work out too well for you. So um, I don't blame David Ruiz. I just think he was asked to do something he's not the best at. And as you might expect, it didn't pay off and Inter Miami struggled heavily as a result. Um, because Victor Yoa also not a guy that's going to, to be the cleanest on the ball and, and build forward and, and, and link the defense to the to the attack. Which again, and that goes back to the point of why I think it's progress. You're talking about a team that is limited. It's like Andrea, if, if no. I gave Andrea, no. if I gave you Andrea, if I gave you Andrea, Andrea, if I gave you everyone's comment. Did Andrea, you like? Do you feel I, proud goodness. of going through playing the way that you did? Especially because when a listen, when a team goes through in a competition like this, that is a single elimination match, when a team goes through, you say like, oh, they could go deep. Uh, they have a possibility. Do you really see Inter Miami no, going deep no, I don't. this competition? I don't. Oh, I think, I think, I think the next they game. they played like this against Nashville, man, even Nashville. I think the, the next bench. game, I think Nashville is going to knock them out. Like, yeah. Unless something happens between now and then, Against Aníbal Godoy and um, Hani Mukhtar get injured, right. they not, are I think done. I think Inter Miami's probably done next game. I, yeah. I, I would say very likely done next game in the Open Cup. You never know with football, but... You never know, but talk, I agree with you. Talking about... I agree with you. I agree. rendimiento of the team, I, 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 it, it really disappointed me because, listen, I really... I Vuelvo y repito, as we say in Spanish... I think this team, even if they had to defend, even if they had to play with a back five, I think they would do better if they play a little bit um, uh, to attack, to get something else. I think they have the players to do it. I don't think they have the, the tactical, maybe, intelligence to use all the players. It has been obvious. But for me, this team, even with these players, can do a lot better. So and I agree with you, but that, but that's where the head coach comes in, and I think Phil Neville is limited tactically in that way, which goes back to the main point of why I think under him this is progress because this is what you can expect You know, Phil Neville's teams to be good at. This is what they've shown to be good at. But anyway, uh, going back to just the overall performance, I don't think against Nashville SC, and I don't think at any other point if they continue in the OUS Open Cup that you'll see a lineup like this I think you could see uh, you know a, a shuffled lineup but I think you'd see a stronger 11 not so many players uh, from the bench like Nick Marsman started a goal not saying he's a, you know he's he's not someone that can't play a US Open Cup game but clearly they went with a, a very very rotated 11 I don't think I, w- I don't think you'll see that as much against Nashville SC in two weeks time I want to say something before we wrap this up and begin talking about the next game. For me, getting Marshman on this game and getting Drake Callender against Miami FC confirms that Phil was under a lot of stress to win against Miami FC. Well, it was a different time. They were on the they were on that lose they were on the six game yeah. losing streak in, in MLS but, play. As, as he said that he would he, he didn't feel the pressure. For me, this lineup shows how pressured he was against Miami FC. 
And um, right. Well, uh, I mean, yes and no, but we, we've we talked about that, so I won't I won't dive into it too much because yes, the lineup he felt Premier some pressure. Better he felt Premier. some pressure. Sure, absolutely, but there was a different moment. If they were, if they had won three games prior to playing Miami FC, then I think maybe you could have seen the lineup like like the Charleston Battery. But a football is a momento. Soccer is about moments. In that moment, Inter Miami was on a long losing streak. Since then, heading into this past Tuesday's game, as Inter he, Miami was in a better run of form. So I have to turn saying, the tide. Four wins in a row. No, no, no. And no. like, please, people, be serious. Four games, serious. four games unbeaten. We can say, but yeah, not, unbeaten, but yeah. not four, four win, wins games in wins. a row. No, no. And everyone that is going to tag me or say <laughs> saying something like that, man, just don't because, like, seriously. No se lo coman, I feel. He ha- he's unbeaten, but he has not won four games in a row, please. So, to start wrapping this this game up, I like the tone of the post-game press conference. Inter-Miami won, they advanced, but the tone of the press conference after the game wasn't all positive and rah-rah and upbeat. It was more critical, more analytical, more what needs to be better. I like the line of questioning from everybody, generally speaking, better. And I th- I think the tone fit with the performance we saw on the field. Because I see, Andrea, there I would say it's being resultadista to, to go and talk all positive after a performance like that against an inferior opponent like that. To, to sing praise and heat praise after that type of game just because they won, that I think is resultadista. I guess better teams, like Inter Miami has played and I must play, I don't. I don't because they're playing better teams. And I don't think they can go blow for blow with those teams. I think they would lose if they go blow for blow for those teams. So they play a smarter, ruder, cruder type of game, and it's worked for them. But anyway, uh, going back to, to the press conference, Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, for me, stole the show with his question to Phil about the style of play and about if Phil Neville was concerned or how concerned was Phil Neville about the fact that Inter Miami is not playing a very attractive style? And Phil Neville... What, 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 what do you mean, Jose? Jose? Asked Jose, what do you mean? He <laughs> asked him to expand his thought on in terms of the question. And Jose responded like the experienced, seasoned, eloquent reporter that he is. And it was fantastic. I was very proud of him as a colleague. I was very proud of him as a Miami Total Football Radio co-host. Um, you know, he expressed his thought very clearly in that, you know, people go to the stadium to watch goals and to see teams attack. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't defensive minded teams in the world that, that can have that don't have, you know, that have some level of success. But it is how Florida fans want to see, of course, wins, but they also want to see an attractive style. You know, if you can package those together, I think that's the ideal world um, for Inter Miami fans, and actually for probably most fans around the world, if not every, all fans around the world. And Phil Neville again doubled down on the fact that when they've played nice soccer, they have not been able to win games. And that reverting to this defensive-minded approach has allowed them to be better. And that, yes, he agreed. He's told Jose he thinks that the team has to play better. They need to improve in many facets. But that they've now found or started to find a manner to win games and it's not pretty but it's proving until now 
somewhat effective. Anything you want to say about Jose's question and Phil's ensuing response? I think Jose did really well in transmitting the idea, an idea that both him and I, or me, how do you say, I or me, uh, both him and I, he and I, <laughs> have. So I, would, I really liked his question, and, and uh, I also agree with you that um, uh, he stood up well for what he was thinking and made Phil uh, have to respond and respond the way that he did. He had to be honest because, well, as, as I always say, lo que se ve no se pregunta, we can all see how Inter Miami is playing. Uh, hopefully for him, for his job stability, the team keeps uh, getting the points because if not, it's not the players that are going to get traded or blah, blah, blah. It's him that will suffer. Some of them might. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> some of them might, yeah. But uh, uh, listen, um, and I also agree with you that this is uh, a press conference that was good because I don't like seeing people uh, in the media room being all like being acting like fans and praising and everything. Our job is to try to get answers, try to get uh, our questions answered, the fans' questions answered. And we cannot be, uh, even if we have a good relationship with the coach and with the players, we have to ask them tough questions. So I was glad that even they won, if they won, uh, people were responding to that and asking Phil and really get it, getting him to 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 answer this this right. question that you have that Jose has and that the people in the press box have, press box have. The questions made Phil a little uncomfortable, right? Like they made him have yeah. to like think and have to you know yeah. choose his words. It wasn't all easy to talk about because he's heaping praise on the team and players. Like Luis hicieron un poco incómodo. Exactly. And I think that that and I don't listen. I don't think that that needs to be every press conference. Yeah, but I think it needs. I think the questions in the press conference have to line up with the tone and mood of what we just saw on the field. Yeah, and sometimes I do feel like Inter Miami, because they win, although they play poorly, although what happens on the field, I think that I see. I think some people are too resultadistas and get too caught up in the euphoria of the victory and the you know they won, so it's all positive when that's not the case. Look, you can lose. And come away with good sensations. And you can win and come away with bad sensations. That is the beauty. I'm going to be redundant here. Of the beautiful game. Yeah. Right? Like if Inter-Miami played against the number one team in MLS. Or they played against Real Madrid. Whatever. And they lost. But they put up a heck of a fight. You would come away with good sensations despite the fact that they lost. Now if they play against Charleston Battery. And they went off an own goal that hits you know an opponent in the face. And that's their only goal, and they only yield three shots on target. Then, of course, you're not going to come away with the best sensations, even though they won. Yeah. So, I think the press conference fit the tone of the performance, and it, it was, I think, refreshing to see from a journalistic standpoint because yeah, it, it, it's not letting right. Phil off the hook just because they won. And exactly, and, and I th- and I think that that is, you know. The accountability that needs to be had consistently, not only for Inter Miami. But, but for acro- the across MLS, yes. absolutely. Yes, I, I, I agree with you that there is a little bit too much, uh, too much result-oriented coverage regularly. Now, listen, it's a, it's a professional sports team. You get paid uh, 
to do well, you get paid based off the results. But football has that element where it's not just results. It's also about the performance. That That is an element of it all. But anyway, all right. So we'll leave it there in terms of the games that happened. Let's preview very quickly because uh, we've been talking for a while. The game that will happen on Saturday. Inter-Miami plays its third game in eight days. Once again at home at Tri-Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida against the New England Revolution, Andrea. The top team in the Eastern Conference. New England, I'm excited. New England has a seven win, three draw, and one loss record in MLS play. They've scored 18 goals. They've given up nine. Goal differential, of course, of plus nine. Now, New England just lost in the U.S. Open Cup. They were upset midweek by the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Oh, USL. (laughs) So, you know, they're not going to be in the best of moods because they've just got knocked out of that competition. But they're still a very talented team and they will give Inter-Miami, you know... They played with a very, very... um... Reserve time. Uh-huh, yeah. But either way, they lost. But listen, this game, it, it, it's got me excited because uh, New England is the best team in the conference for me. Uh, they are playing Bruce Arena's type of football. And, well, he is one of the best coaches in, in American football. Um, it's going to be hard for Inter Miami. Listen, this team has really good players. Carlos Hill, we already know him and has given Inter Miami a lot of problems also in the past. But then, and now uh, Bobby Wood, they have also, <laughs> I think, two Inter Miami players. Two former Inter Miami players. Yeah. That's right. Christian McCoon and, ben Sweat, and right? ben Sweat. They both started midweek against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in that 1-0 home loss for the Revolution. So, yes, two f- former Inter Miami players uh, are in that roster. Um, it's it, going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting it's... game, yeah. I mean, in New England played pretty, pretty, pretty football. I like how how they play. They have good players, and they are very dangerous. They are very, very dangerous. Uh, it's gonna be hard for Inter Miami uh, if we see a type of performance as we have been seeing. Uh, I don't think the New England Revolution will be as forgiving as Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a very interesting match to watch how Phil Neville approaches it. Because I don't have any hesitation to say that I think Inter Miami is going to play defensive. Yeah. But how do they go about how? that? How? Uh-huh. How? Do they, how do they look to, of course, stay compact, but also look to hit in the moments that they'll have in the attack? That is what's going to be very curious to me. And I think that that is the key to the game. And I've said this before when it comes to Dinner Miami, and you know, you could say that you know it comes down to the players on the field, but I would say this game, tactically, how Phil Neville approaches it will be instrumental to the team's chances. Yeah, me too. I don't I, I don't think if he gets it gets it wrong with the formation and uh the or, players or the that lineup, he chooses yeah. or the lineup, yeah, he is going to pay. New England are going to make them pay, pay, especially if they had, if they have those problems that we have been seeing, that we talked about in, in, the, in this podcast, 
uh, New England is not going to be forgiving. So it, it, it will be really interesting to me, as as you as well as he, as you said, to see what kind of lineup Phil gets in this game, and he knows it. I, it's going I, to be Phil a back knows, five, right? It's going to be a yeah, back five. It has to be a back five. It has to be a back five against a team like New England Revolution that score many goals, that have very dangerous not only uh, strikers but midfielders. So is is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And listen, the thing with a back five is that when you have a back five and you get yelling and Negri is not going to play in this game. So that is something to take into consideration. Maybe we could see McVeigh playing. So so that's <laughs> in that that's the next that's the next question. Although I just want to note this: New England has not lost in MLS play since March twelfth. A four to zero loss to LAFC. Since then, unbeaten. In again regular season play, so yes, they had a midweek disappointment and upset and frustrating result. But in MLS play, when they play their stronger lineup, they've been very good. So, Andrea, what lineup do you think we see? Let's go through the eleven, and we'll wrap up this this first segment here. What lineup do you think we see? Because there's going to be at least one mandatory change. Because Franco Negri is out with the red card. I think that is very interesting. I think it's something we should dive into a little bit. So let's let's start in goal. Drake Calendar goes back in. Both agree? Yeah. We, yes. bo- we both think it's a back five? Yes. All right. DeAndre Yellen comes back into the right wing back spot after you know not starting on Tuesday. Yes? Yes. All right. Yes. Then I think your back three depends on what you do at left back so or left wing back. So let's go to mm-hmm. the left wing back spot. Who is it? Is it Harvey Neville, who is not a natural left wing back, but who can play the wing back spot out there, and he has in the past, or do they go Christopher McVeigh? What do you think? I think he's going to go with McVeigh. With McVeigh. Because uh, he has played there in the past, and he has played there in a back five. So uh, I think he could trust him a little bit more than Harvey that would be playing not on his natural position. And that would be a disadvantage against new... He's played him there like before, though. He's played him yeah, there before. Yeah, he's played there before, but it's cambiado. So right, it's right. not... Those Inverted. games that he has played there, yeah, it has not been his best games. So And this is a different, me, this is a different level of opponent. A level, yeah, exactly. So you cannot risk it for me. It will be McVeigh. So if if, if McVeigh starts there, him. if McVeigh starts there, who are your three center backs? Then it would be Christ- Kamal Miller. So Christoph. let's go from right to left. Let's go from right to left. Mm-hmm. I, I think Christoph, sorry Christoph, mm-hmm. the the sweeper would be Ryan Saylor. Ryan Kamal, Saylor. Kamal yes. Miller as the left center back. So I I yes. agree that I think it'll be McVeigh because of the level of opponent that it is. If it was a different yeah. opponent. He could I, try. I, I think. I think he trust. I think he would trust Harvey Neville to get the job done. Yeah. But because it's the New England Revolution, and because it's Bruce Arena, yeah. who Phil Neville has waxed poetry on and talked about how how much of uh, how much he admires him, I think it'll be Christopher McVeigh. Yeah, I'm with you. Agreed. I'm with you. Wow, we are agreeing. Is this <laughs> the end of time. I thought it was Harvey Neville earlier today, but then when I gave it a little more thought throughout the day, yeah. a colleague actually asked me who's doing a preview. He asked me via Twitter on DM not too long ago. I initially said Harvey, and then I thought about it a little more, and I was like, I think it's going to be McVeigh. I think he'll go for the more seasoned option there um, against this level of opponent. Now, midfield, Andrea, this is where, how do you think it's your <laughs> Miami land, lines up? Do they keep going with that 2-2, two, two, essentially a box in the midfield? Do they go a flat yes. four? 
What do you think? Yeah, four. Big Son Arroyo and David Ruiz are going to play. So you think it's, but do you think it's a flat four? Or do you think it's the two and then the two ahead of them in the box where you have two sixes and two and two tens or dos cincos y dos, y dos diez? Uh, <laughs> and I know, see, I know for you guys listening that are bilingual, cinco does not equal six. That's five. But, yeah. they, you know, that's how soccer is in terms of the positional references in each language. Anyway, all right. I think they go. Yeah, no. I think they go the, the double five. Yeah, the, double six, as you say in English, double cinco with Dixon and David Ruiz. And then you get two guys. It's gonna it, going to be Clemashi and Stefanelli. And Stefanelli, yeah. And, up to, and maybe up... we, you can get Corentin John instead of Cremarchi. I don't think so. No, I think Cremarchi's going to stay. And Leo Campana. Campana up top. Yep. Yeah. I, th I think that's what we see. I think that's what we see. We just because so we, we're in full agreement. Um, it'll be a 5-2-2-1 two, two, based on, you know, the success they had against Columbus, the level of opposition here. And they're going to try to just battle through the game and try to pluck a goal at the other end in a clinical fashion or off a set piece. I think that's what they will look to do. We'll see how, how it goes. We'll see if they can get something out of the game. I think a draw is not a bad result for them, even though it's at home and they've dropped oh, points at home. A draw would be a win against this game. <laughs> right, so I, I don't think it's a bad result. But all right, let's leave it there, Andre. We've been talking for a while. We'll come back for a quick Q&A session and our final thoughts. We'll do that after this. A quick Q&A session here. We'll start with Sal Paradise. And Sal Paradise asks, I think I already know the answer, but do you have any updates at all on Robbie Robinson? Is he ever seen at training? Keep up the great work, guys! Exclamation point. Thank you, Sal Paradise. We appreciate that, as well as your continued listens and questions. So I will answer this one. Uh, Robbie Robinson has a calf injury, according to the team. Is he seen at training? Nope. He has not seen at training. And I think that there's more to it than just him being injured. I think that there's a lot more behind it. What that is, I don't know yet. I can tell you what I think, but I don't They're trying have... to get rid of him. Well, I don't have concrete answers as to what's going on. I do think there's more at play than him just being injured. I think there's, there's an issue there between the player and the team and how the player goes about how he does things and the team just kind of already just being ready to, to turn the page. You know, like you don't hear Phil really talk about Robbie Robinson anymore or, or talk about how important he they need him and all these things that he used to say. Like, it's kind of like he's just been forgotten about. Like, he's just kind of a, a headache that they've pushed off to the side. That's my sensation, my interpretation, my uh, supposition. That's not inside information. What the What is inside information is that apparently he has a calf injury that he's dealing with. That's what the team has told us. Andrea. Uh, do you want to hit a different question or anything yeah. to add there? Okay. No, I agree 100%. Okay. Joseph E. asks, guys, what do we have to do to get that Papa John sponsorship deal? Is this because <laughs> we're assuming Messi is coming and we would win too much? Like, come on, we want pizza. Also, well, when will this injury bug end? Listen, that is a very good question. Thanks to Joseph for being a loyal follower. If it was up to us we would get 
Papa John's pizza back because yeah, what happened all... to that? Yeah, yeah, they, it, it's kind of weird because every team has it, so I don't know. You know what? Know. You know what happened? They listened to Miami Total Football Radio and they heard Andrea and Jose promise me a baleada over and over and over again. Hey, saw I that they never made something. good on that, and they were like, you know, Franco's what? we don't need to, we don't need to feed people to keep them happy. Franco can be happy with Jose and Andrea without ever having a baleada. Well, then Inter Miami fans will be just fine without Papa John's Pizza. Maybe that's what, I, Inter, what's that? Maybe that's what Inter Miami did. They they took you guys as an example and went with that approach because I still I have not had a baleada. Thanks to you. here that Franco's <laughs> birthday is on Saturday. It is, and I will celebrate mistaken. it at the stadium. I will be celebrating yes. it at the stadium working. So, so. I'm gonna we're gonna get him baleadas for his birthday. Last year I got him a cake. We got him a cake, but Jose couldn't go to that match, and Jose. Won't be able to go to this match either, but we're going to celebrate Franco's birthday with baleadas. I will style. believe it when I see it. I almost had a baleada without them this week. My first ever one in my 34, almost 35 years of existence when I passed by a Honduran restaurant as I was going to like a quick little uh, convenience store. Earlier this week, I even took a picture, put it on Twitter because it even says right there, Comida Hondureña, and it says baleadas in big letters yes. right next to it. I almost did it. I give them no, one last chance. No, you have to do it with us. I yes. give them one last birthday. chance. If on my birthday, Andrea lets me down, that's it. I'm not waiting anymore. I'll have a baleada first thing on Sunday without her. No, I'm taking <laughs> the baleadas on Saturday. And listen, to, to answer Joseph's questions, it can become a problem for Inter Miami because uh, we've they've had a lot of injuries in matches like Gregore and Mota, but also player ha players having problems physically like in this case, Pizarro in this moment, that is not 100% and hasn't come back. So uh, it's been really hard for the team. It's been really hard, especially as Franco said, they lost for us. I agree with Franco that Mota has been the best player for the team in this season, and they lost him. So Best field player. I think, I think yeah, best field. Trey Callender is probably still a little bit above him, although it was it was getting closer because Callender hasn't been called upon as much lately. Uh, I, I'll add this. I'll add this. I, I sometimes think that Inter-Miami, under Phil Neville, trains the players a little too hard. And yes, injuries are part of the game, and it's normal that players will be injured along the way. Look, Gregory and, and Gene Mota didn't get injured because they were overtrained. They got injured because of tackles and challenges on the field. But I think they may be overtraining them. That's Again, that's my supposition and my sensation. And I, I mean, we could dive deeper into it, but I think that that, is, that might be an element. That might. I won't say for sure I, that it is, but I think that, that I, might be an element. I can agree with you, especially you know why, because in Mota's injury, that injury happened at the beginning of that game. Yeah, and but it was off me, a challenge. But it was off a challenge. Yeah, but like, Franco, he played the rest of the match. For me, that is unacceptable. Like, if you I have mean, that is, that, is pretty, that is pretty interesting that he yeah, was able to like, power what? through the rest Imagine of the game that? after, you know suffering a ligament issue that's going to take him out for several months. You know, I, I do think that that's, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, and I think you could read something into that, but I think overall, based off the body of work over the last few years, look, Don Scott lasted, I think, one season with Inter-Miami before she parted ways and went to the Washington Spirit, which I think is, is a downgrade from working at Inter-Miami. And Inter-Miami had a, several injuries last year as well, so... Um, I, I think there might be an element of overtraining at play. But that's just, again, supposition, sensation, not inside information. All right, let's leave it there for the Q&A session. Andrea, 
your final thoughts, then mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that. I have a feeling yours is going to be about David Ruiz and Honduras. That's just what I think. Well, I did it. I did that last week, but yes, David <laughs> Ruiz, Honduras, he's so good, so good-hearted. We Hondurans are so good-hearted because we let him stay, even though he had to be in camp, and feel even thanked the national team. Can you imagine that? Well. It's Honduras, so they do it to Honduras. They wouldn't do that to the United States. But that's another thing. My final thought for this week is we have another update on a player that left Inter Miami and is doing good in his career. And this time, I'm going to talk about Emerson Rivaldo Rodriguez because Emerson, with his team Santos Laguna, qualified for the Liga in Mexico, and they won the repechaje against the champions, Pachuca, with Emerson playing 75 minutes against Pachuca. They won in penalties, and they played yesterday against um, Monterrey, and they tied. Emerson was again a starter, and he played for 76 minutes, so I'm really glad that we have another example that players that leave this team after being marginalized here are doing well in other places mm. and to add to that we have to talk about also Bryce Duke and Ariel Lassiter who are having the time of their lives in Montreal alongside my favorite MLS player Romel Kyoto. I had not mentioned shocker. Romel Kyoto <laughs> in a lot so there you have it a Romel uh, Kyoto to end my participation in the podcast Shocker. Uh, listen, Bryce Duke is definitely um, producing in Montreal, and he scored a goal and gotten an assist, and um, definitely showing the flashes of what he showed last year, um, and then doing that in his initial introduction to CF Montreal. I don't know if you can give Emerson Rodriguez that much credit. Yes, he played the other day, and he, he contributed to the win, but overall, in his loan over to Santos Lagunas, he's played in nine league matches, gotten three starts, has not found the back of the net. I know soccer football is not all about goals, but he is an attacking player and a winger. So, meh. I think of the examples of players that have left and thrived elsewhere. I think at this point right now, he's towards the bottom of ones you can be like, yeah, they really, really went. And well, he's Took played. it up another level. He's, he's being a starter. Yeah, he started three out of nine games, Andre. That's not that's Well, not but that's right now in the part of the season that counts, he's starting. We'll see. We'll see in the other games. Um, but anyway, anyway, I think Bryce Duke is a better example so far with, from the early returns because it's early. And right? Bryce Duke, let me finish saying this. Kyoto scored. He was injured for four matches. He hadn't played with Bryce Duke and Ariel Lassiter. He came back and uh, Bryce Duke started that play for Romel Kyoto to score his his goal coming back from injury. So I'm really happy to see Bryce Duke and Romel Kyoto together in Montreal. Well, I think there you have more of a case. But anyway, my final thought is on something interesting that happened this week on social media for not Inter-Miami, but an Inter-Miami-related account. And that's that, look, the initial news is that Sergio Busquets has said he is leaving Barcelona. We pretty much knew that that was happening. It's been alluded to for some time, but it's official now. He is going to leave at the end of this season. Where he's headed next, there's rumors about Saudi Arabia He's been linked with Inter Miami for some time. Last year, before the or before, I think maybe it was after the the mid season summer friendly against Inter Miami, he said something along the lines of he wants to play in MLS. Um, and again, there's been reports and, and numerous links of him joining the South Florida side. Drive Pink Stadium's Instagram account 
posted a thank you picture, or uh, sorry, a congratulations picture of Sergio Busquets and his time with Barcelona, which seems kind of odd because why would you congratulate a player that has played in your stadium once as an opposing player and has never really done anything for Inter Miami, right? Like, why? Is that a sign that he might be coming? If you want to read into that like that, then yeah, you could. I would, because why? Why, why, why does Sergio Busquets deserve that treatment? Why doesn't? Why don't other players get that treatment from Drive Pink Stadiums? Trying Instagram to get accounts? the bus. Trying to get the bus on. And the picture was Sergio Busquets and Gregory from uh, from last season in that friendly. So, I think that you could read into that for sure. I think that that I think that's a sign that maybe Sergio Busquets will be arriving in a matter of a few weeks. Again, just my supposition, not inside information. But anyway, that does it for this week's show. Again, apologies for the late release but the rare tuesday match the turnaround from that saturday it made for a very very challenging challenging week but we will be back again next week i will promise you if i have to do it alone i'll do it alone we will be back before next wednesday's game against nashville lc to recap the match against the new england revolution and preview what's to come and then we'll have a second episode later in the week to recap the midweek match and preview the ensuing weekend's game against Orlando City. So, for Andrea Yanis, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to me, I'm Radio. We'll talk to you guys again next week.